Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join us for this next episode. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Chief Communications Officer of the Kabbalah Center, Monica Berg. Monica is an amazing woman who is managing a lot of different aspects of life. Uh, Not only is she the Chief Communications Officer, she's also the incredible author of the book, Fear is Not an Option. She's a mother, a wife, a sister, a daughter, a teacher, a lecturer. She has so much wisdom to share today all about, um, well, so many aspects of life. So I invite you to sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Let's Connect. Uh, This is going to be a really, really uh, powerful episode. I got the chance to speak with Monica Berg, who is down in New York City. I'm uh, in Toronto today. I'm here doing some lecturing myself uh, around my theme of mindfulness and leadership. I'll be doing some talks this week. Uh, We're doing a heartfulness conference tomorrow here in town. And then a little later on this week, I'm speaking at the Tiloma conference up in Blue Mountain, Ontario. And that should be quite interesting as well. So I, uh, I'm really excited about a number of things happening in the world today in particular. I'd say first, um, this idea that we have choice and just getting off the conversation from Monica, as you're going to hear in this conversation, she's going to talk a lot about choice and perspective. I, um, have enrolled myself in a a new coaching certification program this fall, and it's really bumping up my level of of coaching. I'm a big believer in this idea that we're constantly learning and growing, and we need to push ourselves. And I was feeling, um, in in my coaching work in particular, just a little bit like flat, so to speak, where I, I just wanted to feel a little bit more aliveness. And so I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to bump this up and challenge myself and, and sign up for this new certification. Well, um, going through this process over the last few weeks, I've really felt a sense of aliveness and transformation and reminded about the power of coaching. And one of the things I love about coaching is it really reminds us that we have choice in each moment. We get to choose how we want to respond to everything that's coming in at us, the good, the bad, the ugly. How are we going to be as we're moving through life? And um, in the conversation today that we're about to have with Monica, I'm hoping that this will come through and translate for you as well, that... um, as she talks about her book, Fear is Not an Option, and she speaks a lot about her um, beliefs and perspective from the Kabbalah traditions, um, this will really inspire you as well to realize that you really do have uh, a choice in how you see things and how you perceive things. And the hope here is that we all get to live our best life um, to the fullest degree. So that's my wish and my hope for you as you tune into this particular episode. And... um, Please, I'll see you on the other side, but please stay in touch. Subscribe to the podcast. Um, I also send out a daily uh, intention every morning at my website, keithmcpherson.ca. You can always sign up there. And uh, it's a, a great way to stay in touch during the week to remind you that you have choice. So it's my choice now to switch us over to our interview with Monica. And without further ado, please meet Monica Berg. All right, Monica, thank you so much for being here on Let's Connect. It's great to connect with you, finally. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I've been uh, learning quite a bit about the work you're doing, um, all in the the tradition of Kabbalah. And um, 
one of the things I noticed just in terms of how people speak about you, they call you a change junkie. And uh, I'm just curious what that means. What does it mean to be a change junkie? Well, I wasn't, I didn't come in the world that way. Um, it's something that I developed over time. And it basically means to embrace change um, and accepting it for what it is. It's the law of life. And we're either going forward or backwards. And the choice is completely yours based on your own unique desire. So I always start by asking myself, what do I want from life? And when you ask those questions, usually you have to change something in your immediate reality. And I found that most people run from change, but I make a conscious choice to run toward it because in change, there's great power. Mm. Um, and to me, you know, living up to my potential, which is a major part of my life's work, means dedicating myself to my spiritual path, my growth, always striving to be better than yesterday. And to do that, you can't live a robotic existence. So the formula really is to become a change junkie. And everybody can do that. It's just about taking that first step um, and making that first domino fall. And once you do, then you can become addicted to change like I've become. Wow. Well, I'm now really curious about your backstory because as you said, it, it hasn't always been this clear for you. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about just growing up and what your background is and how you came to this place now of, of knowing that confronting the change versus not is really the more where our power is? Well, it's interesting because it really is how I came to the place of the knowing. I mean, I grew up in a home where there was, I was very loved. I always felt loved, but I also remember feeling a little confused. Like nobody had the answers to questions that I just had, you know, from a very young age, you know, three, four, five, I would have tea parties with God. I personally felt very connected to something greater than myself. Um, and my parents were very wealthy and then they lost all of their wealth. Then I saw their lives kind of unravel and we moved from New Orleans where I was very happy to Beverly Hills, California. And my reality pretty much changed overnight. And as a child, that was scary. And, you know, the normal thing is to look to your adults for answers, for direction, for certainty, for comfort. And they were struggling their own struggles and their fight. Right. So I remember, um, feeling just, you know, this can't be all there is to life. And, you know, then I got distracted. I went to Beverly Hills High School. I became interested in different things, not necessarily the, the greatest things from my solar spirit. Mm. And I moved further away from that part of myself. And then around 17, I was just tired. I thought, you know, if this is all there is to life, I, I'm done. I mean, I wasn't like suicidal, but I just thought there has to be more. This cannot be it. And I felt very despondent. And, um, and then I stumbled upon the wisdom of Kabbalah. And for the first time, I got the answers I was looking for. Like, what is our purpose? Why are we here? What are we meant to do? Because again, I looked around at my peers. I looked around at my family members, at adults, everybody around me. And it was the same thing they were striving for, which was to live a successful life, make money. So, you know, get great grades in school, get the best job, have the best car, then get the biggest home, then have a family. And then what? Yeah. And I saw people with tremendous wealth in Beverly Hills and they didn't look very happy to me for the most part. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
that, that really started me on the path. And then of course the evolution of change is something that you do choose. If you're paying attention to your life and you pay attention to the things that are going on and what makes sense and what doesn't, you start to figure out that there is a pattern and that you do have free will and that your greatest strength again is your ability to change and to choose your perspective in life and how you react to the things that happen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There's so much in there. I just like, that's amazing. All of the, what you're saying. Um, I, I want to just go back to something you said very early on was tea parties with God. And I'm just so curious what that exactly means. I love it, but I'm curious. I used to have this, um, this is the seventies. I used to have this box that was like a TV, but it wasn't. And you would wind it up and it would read you a story. And I would sit, I remember playing alone a lot, but I wasn't alone. And I was literally having a tea party, reading this book and God was sitting across from me and, you know, I don't know. The conversations were more like, I felt just for, it wasn't imaginary. It wasn't like I was talking out loud. I just, I I never felt alone. I felt like there was always a presence with me and that I was protected and, um, and guided, you know, it was more that feeling of complete certainty and, um, and comfort. Wow. And then when I started, and then I went away from that. And then around 17, when I started finding spirituality again, that feeling came back and that was familiar to me. And that's what was exciting. And that really gave me the indication that this was the path for me. Wow. And when you describe just the, it sounds like it's a feeling for you of God, like the experience of God is a feeling. Is that accurate? It, it is. I, I connect it very much to intuition, um, sixth sense, you know, that, uh, and that's something that everybody can grow. I wrote a lot about that in my book, Fear is Not an Option, of how we develop that. And, um, and the more that you are in tune, there are messages all around, and there are things that come into your psyche and that help guide you. And um, absolutely, because, you know, we're very limited by our five senses in this world. We react to only what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste. And there's a whole nother realm outside. It's, you know, the 1% reality versus the 99%. It's the things that we can't really see that are directing the way we live. I mean, even the fact that we're having this call right now in different parts of the world on Zoom, I don't know how this is working. I appreciate <laughs> that I can talk to you this way, yeah. but there's something, again, I can't see, but I rely on it to work. I mean, that's how I relate to the creator. Yeah, it's quite amazing. I love that. I can really relate to what you're saying. And another piece that that's popping up as you're saying all this is it's just, it's kind of an overwhelming design, it feels like, in that somehow we arrive here in these bodies, and yet there's more to it that we don't see with our physical senses or experience with our physical senses completely, is what I'm picking up here. It's like, and you were mentioning this idea of like, what is our purpose? What are we meant to do? Like, what is it? Like, this is a pretty loaded question, but like, just in your experience of it, what what is our purpose for being here in these bodies? And trying to move through this life that we're, we're in? Well, I often say the process is the purpose and people get confused thinking the purpose is the purpose. So I have a goal, I have a desire, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z by the time I'm 35 and then I'm going to do this by 50 and this is how my life's going to look. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it's all the things you learn on the journey that really is the purpose. And it's, it's again, one of those things that's completely upside down. We take the, the 1% as the realistic in reality. And really there's a whole 99%. So our purpose is to leave this world more elevated 
then how we came into it. Because what do we come in? We come in with our soul. And yes, we have a physical body. When we leave the world, we no longer have a body, but our soul, as I believe it, goes with us from incarnation to incarnation. So what do you grow in that time? Are you just focusing on the things that will make you feel better, look better, um, immediate gratification? I mean, that is the world we mostly live in today. Or do you develop those aspects of yourself that actually do bring joy, fulfillment, and peace in your life? And that only comes from growing that soul aspect of yourself. And that, what, how do you do that? That's through transformation. That's through embracing change. That's through um, removing the ego. When you have a chance to be kind, be kind. When you have a chance to do more for others, do that. It's living with that consciousness and growing that consciousness. Wow. Is there a difference for you between God and soul? Not really. I mean, soul is that God aspect of ourselves. Okay. So they're connected, right? But um, soul is like, the way I describe soul, it's like, imagine you have a piece of clay, right? And that's basically unmet potential. Now, if you do nothing with that slab of clay, it's going to remain a slab of clay. But if you mold it and you shape it and you create something to your own design as you see it you could build you know the michelangelo you can create whatever you want right that's what the soul is i mean that's the i think the best way to describe it because then you can really it's tangible right our soul is basically unmet potential and it's up to each one of us it's our own unique responsibility to grow it to create it to evolve it oh wow that is quite profound and amazing as i'm sitting with that idea of we're constantly creating and shaping our lives whether we're wanting to be conscious of it or not, I imagine. For good or for bad. And that's why you're either going forward or backwards. The choice is completely yours. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. So then how does God play into this whole piece of the puzzle in your mind? I think more than anything, it's a consciousness. Um, God is endless light. If you imagine it like light, right? All the things that are good, that, you know, humility, um, compassion, um, love that that's all godlike consciousness and for me i think it's more important and easier for people if they understand it in that sense if you want to connect to god really connect to a godlike consciousness and live your life in that way wow versus you know god is punishing and god i'm going to pray to god when i'm desperate okay but that's not really what i'm talking about it's limited it's limited you're right exactly and that kind of brings up for me too this just this whole conversation around i think what you might define as the ego as well, like just uh, we ref- we hear this word a lot, the ego, the ego. W- what does that mean to you? Yes, I, I really love talking about the ego, actually. Um, so ego basically has many definitions, as you as you know. Yeah. And um, in Eastern philosophy, ego refers to the self, the I am. Um, the dictionary defines ego as self-esteem or self-importance. It's our one. It's our own sense of our identity, right? Mm-hmm. Kabbalah teaches that our ego is not connected to our true essence, but rather an aspect of our human nature, validating for us it's, that it's okay to treat other people without respect or human dignity, right? So that's how the, the ego, as far as I'm concerned, that's the importance that it has in our lives. Because when we allow it to take control and it grows and it gets bigger, we allow ourselves to behave in ways that are not um, beneficial to us or to others. So only the ego gets offended. Um, ego adopts a static perspective. It's our ego that doesn't want to change its mind. It doesn't want to be around people that are smarter. It doesn't want to be challenged. It only wants to know the most on any subject and it leaves no room for growth. Mm. And ego wants everything to stay the same. 
it's predictable and it's honestly quite boring. Yeah. But it's where a lot of people live, right? Well, yeah. Like I, I imagine a lot of people are living there. Is it? Um, I just want to get that clear with the Kapala tradition. So, or is it suggested that it's actually not? A, like who we actually are, like it's separate from us or is it, is it a part of us? It's a part of us, but um, again, everything comes down to a choice. What are you leading with? You can lead with the ego aspect of you or the soul aspect of you. Ego is going to be more about receiving for yourself alone. You know, I want this, I want that. I, you know, this will make me feel, but it's all about me where the soul aspect is that elevated. So a lot of the tradition of Kabbalah is breaking down the ego. Now you need somewhat ego, right? If, if it is our, our identity and it kind of is what helps us push forward, um, that's okay, but then you need to tame the ego and that. So I want to receive, but not just for myself. I want to receive so I can also be able to share it. There has to be this conversion that occurs and you can only do that by expanding your consciousness. Right. Wow. I'm, I'm so appreciating just your backstory too, of being raised in a very sort of wealthy um, community and probably seeing quite a bit of ego, like in the early days and somehow having this ability to know that there's more than that. Um, there's, you know, there's so many people that are just convinced that they are just the ego, I would imagine. What was interesting to me is that I, what I, I remember most from my childhood, I saw a lot of unhappiness. So for me, money wasn't, I, was, I just wanted to be happy and, um, and fulfilled and joyful, right? I, that was what, that was my, as a child, even like that yeah. was my motivation. And so it was clear that money's not going to do that. And what a blessing, I guess, really. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. How, how would you, um, or what advice would you give to somebody that is just not happy and most likely in the ego and perhaps they're at the stage where there's like, they want to know that there's more, but they really have no idea how to access that. Like, what would you say to somebody like that? How do they remove the ego or how do they? Yeah. Like, do they re how do you remove the ego or how do you, how do you move from ego into this state of, um, happiness, so to speak, or soul, like you're mentioning? It starts with shifting your consciousness. It's the only way. Hmm. And, and to do that, um, first you have to start with realizing that you can't take everything you see right in front of you seriously, that there's so many other aspects and choose to see a different perspective. So, and, and it's really as simple as that because it's, if we're not aware of this, it's just so easy to get involved with judgment and um, resentment and hatred. So basically when you go through your day and you see things a certain way and it's connected to those kinds of thoughts or emotions, you want to stop and say, okay, I don't have the whole picture. I'm going to give the person or the situation the benefit of the doubt. So for instance, um, and I practiced this for a while when I really, there was a time I felt that uh, you know, cause again, I've been saying since I was 17 and I'm a Virgo and, you know, Virgos by nature were awesome, but there's an aspect of like, we can be a little bit judgmental about ourselves first and foremost, and then to others because we seek perfection, right? So when you see perfection, it's so easy to see that nobody's doing enough. <laughs> and it really bothered me because I didn't want to judge myself anymore. So I, um, I didn't like the way that felt, but I knew that I really couldn't change that completely until I also stopped judging other people, though they were completely related. So I remember I used to drive down this street in, um, in California 
when I lived there. And it was the same route I took every morning. It was on the way to my gym. So there was this woman and she'd walk with a sign each day, every day. If it was hot, cold, whatever, she'd walk up and down this corner. You know, I need money. Um, I have five kids. I can't feed them. And I would catch myself judging. I'm like, you look pretty healthy. You know, you have the energy to walk back and forth with the sign. Like clearly if you can do that, you know, maybe you could do something else. And I thought, my God, you do not want to be this person. So I started playing around with the idea of benefit of the doubt, you know, well, maybe um, her husband just died and she's left with all these children and she never worked at a day in her life. And this is her best, you know, she just doesn't know how else to cope and she has no one else to lean on. And, you know, what do I know? What do I know? How do I know her story or anybody's story for that matter? So I think that a good way to, to and that's humbling, right? When you can admit that you're acting in a judgmental way or that you're not kind, number one, and then yeah. choose to see it a different way. Wow. Yes, absolutely. You're bringing up so many great points. It's just like triggering all of these questions for me. And another piece of this is um, somebody that is in judgment oftentimes doesn't actually know that they're in judgment. So what are some of the signs that you notice when you go into that place of judgment or over perfectionism where you're just kind of in ego versus the other? Like, how do you know the difference? Well, there's no aspect of kindness, mercy, or compassion in that space. So mm. I, I think that the tricky part here is that ego says we're justified in feeling how we feel or justified in thinking those things about that person. After all, you know, he did cheat on his wife, whatever the story is, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that um, we have to stop again and realize that everybody's doing their best and it may be not something we would do, but we don't want to be a place of judging them because then we invite more judgment into our own lives. We're mirrors for each other. So whatever we put out in the universe is going to come right back to us. So I think it's about being self-interested really to adopt a different practice. So again, all of these things are just expanding consciousness and it's hard to do without some form of study. Um, I think you need to read things that inspire you, that enlighten you, that get you into this headspace to kind of make that shift. Oh, yeah. But just to remember that it doesn't feel kind. So if you find yourself in a bad mood or you find yourself feeling uncomfortable in your own skin or really... You you know, thinking you're not enough, realize that's judgment and realize in that moment you can choose to see something else. Wow. You know, you're, you're mentioning, you were answering one of the questions I had next was how do you shift your state? And you were mentioning, you know, there's, there's probably some study involved and some, some learning or reading involved to understand even just what's going on. Um, and for you, like you've really, um, I guess, embodied the, the Kabbalah traditions. And I am not that familiar, although I hear the word Kabbalah a lot. I'm just curious what what that exactly means, Kabbalah tradition, and like what is Kabbalah? <laughs> let's start with that. Yeah, let's start with that. I know um, it's an ancient wisdom, and uh, it explains the complexities of our material and our non-material world. So for thousands of years, Kabbalists have taught that every human being is born with the potential for greatness, which in and of itself is such a powerful concept. Yeah, and Kabbalah is remarkably effective at activating that potential. Um, and I find that it's more relevant now more than ever because we're living in this time where people are becoming more conscious about everything from food um, that we put in our bodies, from words that come out of our mouths. And I think we're finally starting to understand what Kabbalah's been teaching for millennia, and that's the energy that we put in the world and the consciousness we bring into our challenges dictates our life experiences. So Kabbalah's there's, it's such a deep wisdom. You could study your entire life and there'd still be more to study. Um, but what I love about it is that it's practical, it's applicable. Anybody can start at any time. And it's just going to enhance 
your life. I mean, some people take it in as a wisdom, as a practice, um, as a belief system, but I know that everybody who studied this, it's really helped their lives and improved it for the better. Yeah. How did you come into like Kabbalah? Well, it's funny. So when I was in high school and I was going through that, that little patch, my parents were a little bit concerned that I was kind of getting lost. And, um, they, there was a Kabbalah center that was up the street from us and my parents started studying it. And for them, it was more of a heady pursuit, you know, more intellectual and they wanted me to get involved. And there was this trip to Israel. So my father took me and there was this group there at the same time. And I went on this like day trip and it was as if I was experiencing deja vu. I mean, the, the things that I heard, um, the explanations to questions I'd always had, it felt like information that was so familiar. I was like, yeah, that makes, it just felt like I had been there before and done this before. And, uh, and that day my life was changed really the trajectory of, of how I lived it and where I was going to go with it. Wow. That's incredible. And I get a sense it was more than just a, a head practice. It was like, it sounds like it really was in your, your heart and your body. It was. And funnily enough, that my parents were like, oh, you're going too far with this. It's too extreme. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you can't have it both ways. I said, it's intellectual for you. For me, it's purposeful. It's completely different. And I was so young, of course, they thought I didn't know what I really wanted. And now they're, they're you know, they study and they're, um, and they fully support me. But, you know, at 17, they just thought I was jumping from one extreme to another. Yeah. I'm fascinated by your relationship with your parents too, just because um, I don't know if Kabbalah has any beliefs around how we come in and who we end up living with or who we choose as parents. But it's just, it's fascinating to me that, you know, these parents have a, a child that's just so deeply connected beyond the thinking mind of the heart. Like, I'm wondering if that was, do you believe that's pre-calculated or preconceived or is that just random to you? No, I love your questions. Kabbalah does say a lot about soul and process and who we choose as our family. And, um, and, and there's a concept called tikkun where, which means correction basically. And there's certain people, we all have different things that we, um, that is an area of focus that might be more challenging. And therefore, if we overcome that area, then the, the greatest growth for each individual can occur. So for some, it would be finance for others, it's relationships for others, it's parenting mm. or even having children. There's, it's a point of, um, extreme opportunity and usually it comes in a package that's difficult or a challenge and when you go through the challenge and you transform it then you elevate from it and often our parents assist us in that process or um and that's why we choose the parents that we do have somebody asked me once in an interview um you know what was the greatest thing that you learned from your parents and about success and i said you know, sometimes even your parents or people, they teach you what not to be, right? I mean, yeah. yes, they were very successful, but when my father lost it all, he spent his whole life trying to make it back again. And he missed out on so many other things that were so much more purposeful. And um, and another lesson there, you know, never I never wanted to live a life of regret. So it was a cautionary tale. I mean, he has Alzheimer's now and that dream never came into fruition again for him. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, powerful. I um, I also I don't want to shift a little bit here because I know I, I was talking to the, I guess it's your agent who was setting this up and she was saying, ask her about the importance of laughing. And uh, I just, I know that that seems really important in your work and I'm, now I'm really curious about, yeah, the, the reference to that. What is it? Why is that so important? And 
How does that work in, in what you're doing with Kabbalah? Well, because when you laugh um, and you can you have a levity about how you go through life and you're able to laugh at yourself, well, first, ego can't exist in that space either because you can't take yourself too seriously. Right. I often say I take what I do very seriously, but I don't take myself that seriously. So I think it's funny when people say like, wow, you've done this. And I'm just like, I haven't even arrived. I never want to feel like I've arrived anywhere because there's always something more I want to become or do or learn. Um so a, a really good formula to live life is really just laugh through it. And even through the most challenging situations, if you bring that energy and that consciousness into it, then you're, you're not going to make too many mistakes because you, again, you're not going to fall into being reactive or angry or hateful because you're, you're laughing about it. So I'll give you a small example. And I see this a lot in relationships. You know, if, if a couple makes their commitment to each other more important than any situation, then there's no obstacle too big that you can't overcome together. There's nothing bigger than your commitment to each other. So it's about finding opportunities in our day-to-day experiences that we can create beautiful moments and memories. So for instance, if a child is taking a bath and they're splashing all over, you have a choice in that moment. You can get really angry that your clothes has gotten wet or the floor is wet and you have to clean it up, or you can use an opportunity to create a memory or a moment and splash back. And so the floor will be wet and so you'll change your clothes. But that memory, <laughs> You'll remember that, that you created a space of beauty and connection. And it's the same thing. I mean, my husband and I were stuck in um, traffic. We have four kids and we were going to, they went to uh, sleepaway camp. So at that time, my youngest was three and she would get terrible motion sickness in cars, planes. So, um, I mean, terrible. <laughs> and this day it was like hot and we, it took three hours to go there. There are two different camps. We had to go driving from there to there. It was 95 degrees, New York city summers. And, um, and then by the time you have to spend a few hours, or of course you're not seeing your children for a long time in the summer, you get back in the car and everybody's driving back. So now the three hour drive oh. is five hours and that's all in one day and we're hot and we feel grimy from sweating all day. And the little one is throwing up. And (laughs) I mean, and I start to get really irritable and, you know, naturally who am I going to take it out of my husband? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I realized like what's bothering me is that the navigation you know, ways, the voice of the person is like, I feel like she's bossing me around. Now, of course she wasn't, but you know, when you get irritated, everything sounds horrible. So I hear her saying, turn left, turn right, you know, and in my ear, and I'm like, so then we decided we're both getting irritated at this point. So we start to play around with the navigation voice and we find that there's like a Justin Timberlake style one and like different <laughs> ones like Santa. So it's like, turn left and he starts singing it like R&B style, right? Cool. And then it's like, Santa's like, turn right, ho, ho, ho. And we just started laughing. We laughed so hard the rest of the ride that it didn't feel that long. And we changed the situation that could have been so difficult and that we could have gotten a fight about it's just one that was like okay we're going to remember this and we look back at that day laughing still that is really powerful and i'm really appreciating what you're saying around relationships and the importance of laughter too um because we do tend to take ourselves so seriously especially in our our close relationships where we're we can end up analyzing each other or pointing fingers really quickly and what i'm loving is this idea of shifting to laughter that can be really transformative in, in this practice of, of Kabbalah and beyond too, I imagine. So, wow. Yeah, because also the ego gets really involved in relationships. I always say there's three people in a relationship. 
the couples, right? Each person and then the ego. And if you don't tame that, it's so easy to, to take relationships to a place that's less than acceptable. Yeah. In a situation where you see couples that are together, but um, they are struggling to make it work because they just feel so drastically different, or maybe they, they got married and they didn't really realize it, or they shifted in the marriage, and there's like all of this kind of tension. I, we see this a lot. I mean, our divorce rates are so high, and people are really struggling around that. It, um, what do you have to say about that? Like, what's your thoughts on, on why we see so much? divorce and so much challenge in relationships these days why is that i think there's a few reasons i think one people put a lot of attention and energy in finding the person you know jade dating blind table double dating you know reading books putting themselves in uncomfortable situations to really find somebody to spend their lives with and then once they do they don't spend a lot of time in cultivating that we think okay we have the relationship and it's another box that's checked and then we go on to fill other boxes whether it's having children or pursuing our careers. And we think that relationships, because we love each other, it's something that's going to come along with us for the journey. And love's never enough. I've seen many, many couples who love each other, but they can't live together because they didn't learn the fundamental rules of, again, creating a space without ego, a spiritual space, one where you learn to communicate, you choose a fighting style that works for both of you. You spend time with one another and you make sure that you're both growing forward in the same direction. I think that often we assign that to friends and then we think, you know, this, we take it for granted because it's automatic and we lose appreciation. And once appreciation is lost, eventually the love is lost. So I think that's the bigger, bigger picture. Yeah. Um, but I think we have the added aspect in the world that we live in today, that there's so many options and choices. Yes. If you don't like this one, oh, there's somebody else. And we think there's an abundance because again, there looks like there's so many selections, but I think that's very deceiving. Oh, absolutely. I I love what you're saying about the choice piece too these days. It's overwhelming and we're kind of, it feels like almost the epitome of ego in a lot of ways or the ego really plays on that aspect of just the abundance of choice that we have. And it's like, there's always something better. And it feels like a lot of us are just constantly chasing and on the go. Um, And also, I don't think that people feel like they don't finish a process. I think that when you meet somebody or even with a friend, there's a, there's a process that you go through together that you learn from one another. There's a reason you're in each other's lives. And even if you choose to exit, exiting and how you exit is also teaching you something about yourself and how you operate in the world and how you relate to other people and how they relate to you. That's very important feedback Mm. in terms of living your best life, living a happy life. I feel like today with text messages and ghosting and you don't have to, you don't want to talk to somebody again. You can avoid them. There's another, you know, it's so it's lost that aspect of kindness and human dignity as well. Yeah. Any thoughts on how we would cultivate more kindness and appreciation, especially in our relationships? Yes. Um, I think that when we can stop and I mean, really, I think that people don't appreciate many things because it's so easy to take it for granted. You know, we assume that we're going to wake up every day in the morning. I I think that like I say a prayer every morning that I wake up and my body's working as it does. The fact that we can see that we can speak, that we have choices, that we have freedom. I mean, there's so many things to be grateful for and to appreciate. And again, I think that it's something that people think is automatic and that we deserve certain things. So we don't spend the time to actually, um, stop and say, okay, well, I'm grateful for X, Y, and Z. Mm. Um, 
And I think that when we don't do that, then it's easy to to stay in a space where, you know, there's never enough and we just feel lack. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I love the gratitude aspect too. Um, Something you were talking about earlier was the title of your book, Fear is Not an Option. And it caught my attention. Um, what does that exactly mean? Fear is not an option yet. I feel most of us are, are living in at some level, a state of fear quite often, but it, what does that mean? Well, everybody has fear. If you're alive, you've been afraid of something or you you are afraid. Um, and I see that that stops a lot of people from living their dreams. They become paralyzed by the fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure, um, and I, so what I did is I, first of all, I named the book Fears on an Option because when it's not an option, then you have to find a different option. So I always love <laughs> removing what's not working so you can find something that is. Yeah. And too often we put energy in what's not working and we fight our thoughts and we fight our fears and that's still energy. Fighting something takes a lot of effort. So I think that approach is something that, you know, just does not work. If it's not an option, what does? So I divide, I explained fear and there's that there's three different types. I've identified three different types in my book. And once you identify them, then you can completely eradicate them from your lives. What are the three types? I'm so curious. (laughs) So there is healthy fear, real fear, and illogical fear. And I can go really through it quickly if you'd like. Yeah. I'd love to hear about time. Yeah. Okay. So healthy fear is like, it sounds it's set up for our survival and our protection. It's fear of, um, let's say that you're hiking and you go too close to the edge of the cliff and your heart starts to beat and something tells you you should move back, right? Mm. That fear that kicks in is there to protect you. If your hand's too close to an open flame, again, you get scared, you pull your hand away. All of that's there for our survival. But even as they mentioned earlier in our conversation about intuition, that is also another form of, um, of listening to that fear. So, you know, when you get that gut feeling, you get butterflies in your stomach, it's the same thing. And I often give this example that, you know, if you're about to go in an elevator and there's somebody in there already and you're feeling not comfortable, you should honor that feeling. Uh, Mostly women especially don't do that. We want to seem polite, you know, we don't hurt a person's feelings, but this is the type of thing you should always honor. mm -hmm. And I tell a story in my book about um, this woman named Carol Durant and she lived in Utah and she was at a mall one day and she was in a parking lot and she was approached by this police officer and he said, you know, your car's just been broken into. We've apprehended the suspect. He's at the station and he has a bunch of items on him. Can you come back with me and identify if any of it belongs to you? Hmm. And she felt that feeling that, "Mm, you know, I'm not so sure about this. So she asked to see his badge and he showed it to her. So she's reluctantly decided to go along with him. So they get in his car and they start driving up the highway and she realizes that they're going in the opposite direction from the police station. So she points that out to him and he starts to handcuff her. So he, with one hand, he's trying to handcuff her and she has her other hand on the door and she's able to jump out of the moving car because she was already on alert. He stops the car, a fight ensues on the side of the road and she's able to escape. A few days later, she reads the paper and that same day that that happened to her, she sees that another woman a few hours later was raped and murdered. And this police officer was serial killer Ted Bundy. So this kind of fear we want, okay? Listen to your healthy fear. It's there to protect you. Then there's real fear. It's like it sounds. It's based in reality. It's fear of sickness, disease, dying, losing our loved ones. So how do you handle this fear if it's something that we do have to deal with in this life? Yeah. So if you're afraid of you know, getting sick, well then 
live a healthier lifestyle. Make sure that you take steps to eat healthy, to exercise, to check your blood every year, to see what's going on inside your body and invest there. If you're afraid of losing your loved ones, instead of ruminating about that thought and, oh my God, what's going to happen when they go and I'm going to miss them. And, you know, people obsess about this. I've talked to people who have this thought on loop. Instead, spend time with the people you love. Make sure you tell them that you love them. Create beautiful memories together and connect whenever you're together. Make the most of your time together. So that real fear, as far as I'm concerned, again, I think that's okay because it's helping you in some way grow and connect. Wow. Now, the last fear, a logical fear is where we spend most of our time. It's fear of spiders, heights, elevators, um, rejection, failure, you know, all of those things that we live with day to day. And that stops us from living our best life. Uh-huh. It's We put so much energy. It's illogical. It is um, fear-based. It keeps us panicked. It keeps us frantic. And it really stops us from going after the things we want. And this should be completely eradicated. Oh, I love this. It's the fears are not an option. And the idea that there's, it's really about perspective is what I'm getting here. And we get to choose like the power of the choice in each moment of learning how to listen to soul or fear, essentially, or love or fear, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, most, yeah, most things come down to perspective and how you see the world. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I'm I'm curious from you, just, I mean, being an author of a book and you're the chief communications officer at the Kabbalah Center, I mean, you've got a really full life, plus you have four children and a husband and like, you've got a pretty, and you live in New York City, like there's a lot going on in your life. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to handle, like a lot to manage. Um, for you, like, how does it look on a day-to-day basis in terms of balance and keeping that all together? Very busy. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when I didn't live in New York, people would always say, oh, you know, you're, are you a New Yorker? And I never really understood what that meant. And then when I moved here, my energy on top of the energy of the city was like, you know, on speed. I was like, okay, I have to find a way to kind of um, balance that. So I've, I've learned how to live in New York City and not morph into the city because that's just way too, I couldn't sleep at night. Yeah. But I think that my philosophy is that you can do it all. You really can, but you can't do it all at the same time. So I, I like to live life to the fullest. And if I'm going to invest in something, I'm going to invest in it fully and completely. That doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Again, that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way. But, you know, I, I use this analogy. Let's say I'm driving the car. And one time, you know, the kids are in the front seat. And my book that I'm writing is in the back. And something else is in the trunk. And then... <laughs> If I have a deadline, you know, the books in the front seat, the kids are in the back, you know, and it's this rotation that things will get priority. Now, if my kids ever say, mom, I need you, of course, that becomes like, I'll drop everything in that moment. But I really also give myself a lot of emotional feedback. I make sure that, and I know myself well enough through this process of growth and change that I plan my weeks in a way that I know they're manageable. I know that if I spend two hours writing here, then I can spend this many hours mentoring people. And if I spend that much energy giving lectures, then I'm going to need to have some quiet time. And I've learned to anticipate how I'm going to feel about things. But I also know that, again, you should put energy into all the things that you love and that you believe in, but not there can't be the acceleration on all of them at the same time. I love it. Where currently do you feel most excited and called to place your energy and focus? Well, my, I'm my next book rethink love is coming out soon. So, um, 
that's going into design now. And that's like, again, that's like ready to give birth to that one. So that's, that's the priority, I think. Um, and I'm giving some talking engagements, um, speaking engagements. So I'm giving thought about that. Wow. I love the title. And it's also an introspective <laughs> time. So yeah, all of that spiritual stuff is the priority right now. Yeah. It, thank you. Rethink it, love. Well, I want everybody to rethink everything they think they know about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking that up from you on this conversation. I love that about you. Um, rethink love sounds like an amazing title too. When, what, any idea when that's going to be coming out? It's going to be come out. It's going to come out in the new year. In the new year, okay. So everybody's got it. Everybody listening, you got to. They probably not up for pre-order yet, but soon, I'm guessing. Yes, yes. Rethink soon. love. You got to check this out by Monica Berg. And and your current book, Fear is Not an Option, as well is just. Uh, it sounds like an amazing book to um, just really start understanding that we don't have to choose to be in fear. We can. There's other ways to to move through life beyond being in the state of fear. So very powerful. Yeah. What's great about this book, the first part of it is that I dissect fear, like the anatomy of fear. So we really understand it and we went through some of it, but there's more. And then the second part of the book is my own journey through fear. So it's semi-autobiographical and I talk about um, a lot of, you know, different personal things that I went through and um, to get to the other side. And then the third part is your journey through fear. And there are journals in the book because I like people to write in books. Some people have a problem <laughs> with that, but it's yeah. your book and you can write in it. Um, and then that helps you through that, those workshops to really tackle your own fears, even the ones you don't think you have. Wow. It brings them to light. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I'm also just curious about your process of writing. It sounds like you're quite a, a prolific writer. Um, do you write by hand? Do you type? How does it come through? Typically, I do. I like to write by hand. You do? Um, oh, wow. Love it. I do. I mean, when I start to go really quickly, sometimes I dictate and um, somebody types it. I, I think too fast. If I had to then type, it would just take me out of the creative process. Yeah. And, uh, and I journal a lot. Like whenever I get an idea or I'm inspired, I'll write a blog about it. And sometimes blogs become books. You know, I have my blog, RethinkLife.today. So, um, yeah, I'm always writing something. Wow. Amazing. I can feel the spirit that flows through you. And it's, uh, it's just so inspiring to, to get to know you and hear a bit more about who you are and your story. And I just want to thank you for, for being here on, on the podcast. And if people want to stay connected, you mentioned your blog one more time. What's the name of it? It's yes. It's rethinklife.today. Rethinklife.today. Beautiful. Yes. I like the dot today. That's amazing. And, uh, <laughs> and then also too, people, I know you do a lot of work with the Kabbalah center out of New York or is this internationally that you're doing? It's international. International. It's international. Okay. Yes. So if people so want there's the website, Kabbalah.com, yep. um, you can go on there and, uh, there's learning classes and, uh, and you can follow me on Monica Berg 74 on Instagram. Okay, great. We got to definitely be uh, following you and I'd love to get to one of your speeches and I hopefully will be able to get a, a pre-ordered copy of Rethink Love and we would love to have you back on to chat about the details of that too and when, when I would love out. to yeah amazing great thank you so much Monica thank you yeah we'll talk to you again soon okay bye-bye well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And right now in this moment, I'm feeling 
a lot of heartfulness. I'm feeling a lot of gratitude and um, just really inspired by Monica's words and her teachings and how the spirit moves through her. She's quite a profound and amazing woman. And I hope you choose to uh, stay in touch with her, follow her blog, pick up a copy of her book, Fear is Not an Option. And uh, hopefully we'll have her back when Rethink Love also comes to print. Thank you everybody for listening this week. And uh, I look forward to you tuning in next time to the next episode of Let's Connect.